2: Good morning. It is 8:30 on Wednesday, June 9th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a new survey probes Mississippi's appetite for medical marijuana and expanded Medicaid. Then, Mississippi communities battle a rising tide of gun violence. And after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, a major airline returns to Jackson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The most recent State of the State survey from Millsaps College and Chisholm Strategies is out, and it grants some insight into how Mississippians feel about the state's most pressing issues. Nathan Schrader, who's the Government and Politics Department Chair at Millsaps, says the survey polls voters who turned out during the 2020 elections and is weighted to ensure people of all races and genders are proportionally represented. He also notes that it shows clear-cut majorities of opinion on issues like medical marijuana.
1: I'll give you the three quick top-line points on marijuana. And the first is voters overwhelmingly want the legislature and Governor Reeves to come together and pass a medical marijuana law that is identical to the one that they passed in november of last year that was nullified by the supreme court ruling on the the initiative process that's number one number two over 20 percent of voters tell us and this was a, a, a plurality of them told us that as of this moment in time and we're still two years out from the next legislative and statewide elections that as of this moment in time they intend to weigh whether or not they're the state elected officials enact a medical marijuana law as their number one voting issue as of now for the next legislative election. And the third uh, kind of top line bullet point, if you will, on the, the marijuana question is we know there's been so much talk in recent years and excitement around this ballot initiative. We've not asked and we've not seen any polling on recreational marijuana. And we know that's a completely separate issue. It was not covered in the ballot initiative, but we thought it would be useful just to gauge the public on that. And actually, to my surprise, 52 percent of Mississippians said that if it were up to them, we would legalize recreational marijuana for adults, too. Only 37 percent said they wouldn't. So we looked at this from three different angles. They want voters want the legislature and governor to enact a medical marijuana law like the one they passed, identical to the one they passed in November at the polls. They right now are treating the enactment of a medical marijuana law as their top voting issue. And uh, 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 what uh, to me seemed a larger than expected share of voters, plus 15 points, so that they also support going another step of legalizing recreational marijuana in the state.
2: Mississippi has the lowest vaccination rate in the country a uh, little over a fourth right. of Mississippians have been vaccinated. What did your polling show in those who, who haven't been vaccinated? Are they considering getting vaccinated? What do the statistics show you?
1: We actually asked this follow-up question just to the people who said that they either probably or definitely won't get vaccinated. That's a quarter of the whole population right there says so they probably aren't going to get it or they will definitely not get it. We followed that up with a question just of those folks telling, asking them to tell us what is the primary reason for not getting the vaccine. And that's where over 61 percent said there's just nothing anyone can do to convince them to get vaccinated. Another 22 percent said they need to be convinced by more people who they trust. And only three percent said that they it, they are not vaccinated so far because they need help getting to and from the vaccine sites. And I know just from some things I've heard coming out of the, the, the state government, the the state has seemingly suggested that they think that numerous people are not being vaccinated because they're having access problems or not being able to get to a vaccine vaccination site. The polling does not back that up at all.
2: Let's talk about Medicaid expansion. It seems that you've asked that question before in previous surveys. Have the numbers changed yes. very much?
1: Well, you're right. This is this is our fourth quarter uh, asking about Medicaid expansion going back to the spring of 2018. And here, the reason we wanted to bring this up again is because prior to the Supreme Court's nullification of a state ballot initiative law, there, the, the process was underway by a few citizens groups to collect signatures to put a Medicaid expansion initiative on the ballot for, I guess, this would have been fall or November of 2022. And we wanted to follow up anyway because this was a topic that, that has always been – since we started polling at Mississippians have been favorable to Medicaid expansion, and they hold – the voters here hold a position that is at odds with – Governor Reeves and many of the the Republican legislative leaders. For example, in the the poll that was released this week, 55% of Mississippians tell us that they support Medicaid expansion, only 27% are opposed, and uh, 18% are unsure. Now, just to give you an idea of how that's changed over time, if we go back three years to when we first asked this question, We've seen the support actually increase from then to now three points in favor of expanding Medicaid, but we've actually seen the opposition to it drop by nine points. So meaning there are more people who are either supporting it or they've moved from being opposed to it to being on the fence. And here's what that tells me, that should the legislature fix the ballot initiative law, the Supreme Court nullified, and should – The Medicaid, the the citizens groups trying to get Medicaid expansion initiative on the ballot, should that happen, I would say that there's a strong chance that it does pass at the ballot box if given the opportunity. And to me, it's significant because it illustrates a huge disconnect between Mississippi's some of the legislative leaders and Governor Reeves from from where the public stands on that issue.
2: How do those surveyed feel about the direction in which the state is going?
1: Yeah, this is, this is the – even though you know, we change up some of the questions over time and at, some, and at other points in time, the questions change because the elected officials in office change, but this is one that's been consistent over all 15 quarters of the State of the State survey. And, and here's, here's, Karen, something that's really should be of interest to everybody is how we do have, over time and at different times, an ebb and flow, if you will, in the, whether or not Mississippians believe that we're heading in the right direction the wrong direction. And just to give you a feeling of that, back when we first started this survey project in September of 2017, we were at a uh, net right direction, wrong direction rating of negative three points. Right now, that sits at negative four. So we're, we're almost back to where we were 15 quarters ago when we mm-hmm. started polling. Now, there, there have been points in time, such as after this past legislative session and after, uh, I guess that would have been the fall, the 2019 special session, where the approval rating, the net approval rating was moving upward. But I have a feeling that the reason it declined so significantly this time is that the public is generally very unhappy. With the Supreme Court's ruling on um, the ballot initiative process, and they're learning as we go through this entire affair that the legislature in part caused this problem by not amending the the ballot initiative laws that they've had two decades to fix. And I think they're they're now bearing the brunt of some of this because of that.
2: Nathan Trader is the chair of the Department of Government and Politics at Millsaps College, and this survey is conducted by Millsaps College and Chisholm Strategies. It's the quarterly State of the State survey. Nathan, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Karen. I appreciate it. Coming up, the Gulf states face rising homicide rates. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Across the Gulf states, homicides and gun violence are on the rise. Over Memorial Day weekend alone, there were at least 26 shootings in the major cities across Mississippi, Louisiana, and Alabama. Most of the shootings in the region are the result of domestic disputes. This has communities asking, what's the solution to combating the violence? More police or more community support? MPB's Becca Schimmel reports.
0: The persistent level of fatal shootings across the region often involves people who know each other and they don't get as much attention. This makes some community members feel forgotten.
2: The biggest misconception is that the people that live in these communities are not human, that they're some type of inbred or animal or some type of barbaric human being.
0: That's Ono Yemi Williams, an organizer for Peacemakers Alabama a grassroots campaign pushing gun violence intervention programs. Williams has experienced over-policing and underfunding of social services in her own community of Birmingham for many years. That's partly why she does this work, to help people understand how those factors can perpetuate violence and distrust in law enforcement.
2: When I share stories of what takes place in these communities and how the police respond to us and how they show up in our communities, folks are always like, what? oh, that would never not happen in my neighborhood. Well, it happens over here all the time.
0: Williams wants any change in policing to involve consulting over policed communities. Birmingham is working to allow its citizens to keep a closer eye on police brutality and misconduct by creating a civilian review board. Birmingham is in the top five small cities with the highest rate of fatal shootings, along with Baton Rouge and New Orleans. And deaths from gun violence are on the rise compared to this time last year. According to a report from the data project American Violence, between January and April, there were at least 145 fatal shootings across those three cities. You know, New Orleans has led the nation in murder 13 in the last, like, 28 years. They've been in the top five for murder almost, you know, probably every year of your life. That's Jeff Asher, the co-founder of DataLytics, a New Orleans-based consulting group with a focus on crime statistics. He says there isn't one single reason fatal shootings have remained a problem in Louisiana – But economic, medical, and mental health stresses following a pandemic don't help. Perfect storm of factors combining, and then all of a sudden you throw in just tons more firearms than there were before, and you get this dramatic increase, historic increase in violence. Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama have high levels of gun ownership, poverty, housing instability, and other social problems that can contribute to higher rates of violence. Chelsea Parsons is the vice president of gun violence prevention policy at the Center for American Progress. She says addressing those factors doesn't mean policymakers need to invest more resources in law enforcement. You know, what we are hearing from the folks who are leading these efforts in the communities that are really struggling with gun violence is that we need an investment in the community-based programs many of which work in partnership with law enforcement. Nearly 80% of people in the South want to see investments in mental health, trauma, and addiction treatment services in an effort to improve public safety. That's according to a recent survey from Benenson Strategy Group. About 45% of people polled don't want law enforcement to have military-grade weapons. Shannon Curry is the vice president of the
2: group. 81% of most Americans support police funds going towards de-escalation techniques. And I think just despite conventional beliefs, police aren't considered really integral to public safety.
0: Curry says people surveyed were also interested in bystander training to teach everyone how better to de-escalate a situation and reduce community violence. She was surprised to find that even when the data was broken out by a political party, there were a lot of commonalities.
2: Across the board, for the most part, everyone is aligned that there is a need to change the way that we are looking at policing in America.
0: The violence is only expected to continue to increase over the summer as pandemic restrictions continue to lift. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Becca Schimmel.
2: The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership between WBHM in Birmingham, WWNO in New Orleans, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. WBHM's Mary Scott Hodgen contributed to this story. Coming up, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, Southwest Airlines returns to Jackson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: The contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself? Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of pediatrics and internal medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute.
1: What should your blood pressure be when you age? I'm 75 at the moment.
3: Over time, that answer has changed based on the data. A little bit of the physiology behind that. So as you age, you can have damage to your arteries that cause that systolic, that's that top number that you mentioned, to go up over time. That occurs when you have arteries in your body that are stiffer. They're not as compliant. So instead of being a nice rubber tube that helps to, uh, to push blood through your body, it's more like a cast iron pipe. Uh, and when it becomes like that, the pressure in that top number goes a lot higher and usually the bottom number is the same in a normal range or even lower. That's not a given with everybody, even in the United States, uh, as they get older. Now, what we know from a, a blood pressure control standpoint is even in those individuals, you really need to try to get the blood pressure less than 130 on the top and less than 80 on the bottom for all ages. There's some great... Data in the last 10 or 15 years with a a number of studies that have shown some uh, big improvements in dementia prevention, progression to kidney failure, stroke, heart attack. If you can push that number down, that's the thing to do. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio.
2: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Yesterday, Southwest Airlines resumed flights to and from Jackson's Medgar-Wiley-Evers International Airport after a seven-year absence. Southwest joins Delta and American Airlines in servicing the airport, which is Mississippi's largest. Paul Brown is CEO of the Jackson Municipal Airport Authority. He explains to our Michael Guidry why Southwest left Jackson in 2014 and what its return means for the capital region.
4: According to Southwest Airlines, they left because the uh, business conditions didn't support them continuing to serve Jackson. I don't know exactly what that means for that airline, but uh, I sure am happy that, that they're able to come back. And I think it means a lot for the people in the region. It's going to provide very good pricing options for travel outside of Jackson to the to the greater world, so it's good for us.
5: Now, what uh, what nonstop flights are they bringing? I know that's one of the the big headlining benefits of of Southwest returning. What what nonstop flights are they offering out of JXN?
4: Uh, well, they've got they've got direct flights to, believe it or not, Orlando, also Baltimore Washington International Airport or BWI. Um, they'll be flying to Houston Hobby, and they'll be flying to Atlanta.
5: So, can you give any insight to why these cities were chosen? I mean, I know the airlines themselves. That they they decide how they're going to operate their their flight schedules and things like that. But um, is there anything in within the travel data that that you share with them that they kind of keyed in on these particular cities?
4: Well, uh, I will tell you this: it's important to note that Southwest Airlines is a um, is an airline system that is not uh, hub and spoke based like a lot of the other uh, legacy airline carriers are. So for that reason. What they have instead of hubs is they have what they call cities of focus. A lot of these cities, if you uh, look at these destinations, are these cities of focus. They're cities that figure into their system and have other uh, jumping off points to get to other destinations. So, these are important cities in their system. I'm very happy for our our Mississippi and uh, Jackson area legislators who will be able to fly to to the Washington D.C. area now on a on a nonstop flight uh, on another option, but but that's really the way they approach things is to is to uh, serve cities of focus rather than have a hub and spoke. So so that's why these cities have been teed up first. We have made uh, entreaties to Southwest Airlines for perhaps other interesting destinations, but but we're very happy with the with what we have.
5: Other major airlines operate out of JXN, Delta, American Airlines those are typically associated with um, with business travel. Was it accurate to say that this is what Southwest offering and, and their approach and this cities of focus uh, an attempt to market and appeal to perhaps family travel or other motives for traveling?
4: A lot has changed with COVID-19. Business travel as we know it, I don't want to say it ceased to exist because nothing beats a, a face-to-face <laughs> meeting. But things like uh, other options like Zoom and WebEx and whatnot have, have certainly changed the landscape. I'm really happy that Southwest is back because they do appeal. I think you're very I think your, your, your comment is very insightful. They do appeal to the leisure traveler, perhaps primarily with their, uh, with their low fare options and their many destinations, many of them in the south. But there are plenty of business travelers also who will partake of, of Southwest offerings. They appeal to a wide variety of travelers. And we're we're still happy to have our our legacy carriers. We'll always um, be grateful to them. If they weren't here, we probably wouldn't get a Southwest back. So that's something else to consider. But but Southwest does have a very uh, strong business traveler program, and I think you'll see evidence of that as they get fired up here.
5: And now to pull the lens back a little bit, uh, one of the bigger topics of focus in D.C., is is infrastructure and you know, the negotiations of some type of infrastructure bill. What improvements in transportation infrastructure could help bring more visitors into into JXN? And uh, what would you like to see happen on that front?
4: Wow, we we, we could probably have another call about that. There there is a lot there's a lot of opportunity here, um, especially with respect to the Jackson Wiley Evers International Airport. We have uh, pavement. Uh, management analysis that needs to take place. We have a strong desire to create <clears throat> more aircraft parking spaces. We also want to plus out the south side of our uh, of our passenger terminal to allow larger aircraft to be able to park right at the terminal. And by larger aircraft, I mean 737s and larger. Um, we have a strong desire to um, also... Uh, Prove the viability of our airfield by allowing for efficient remediation of our stormwater. We are in a, a modified stormwater plane here uh, which allows for a lot of, a lot of evacuation of stormwater. And we need to do that efficiently to get the stormwater past our airfield and not cause any erosion of our valuable pavement. There's a lot of infrastructure here. Then there's customer conveniences inside the terminal. We want to connect the east and west sides of the terminals so that people can move freely throughout the entire airport. And and with that, we'd like a modern concessions program. So infrastructure is very important here, and, and we, we see a lot of initiatives going forward.
5: Well, Paul Brown, CEO of the Jackson Municipal Airport Authority, thank you so much for your time and your insight, sir.
4: Thank you very much, and I hope you have a great day.